Good afternoon, everyone. Dr. Stillman here for another episode of Monday Masterclass. Today, we are going to be talking about one of my favorite supplements, and that favorite supplement would be bile acids. Why did I decide to talk today about bile acids? We have a Thursday morning masterclass, and if you don't know, we now have a, a weekly masterclass on Thursday mornings that is only for people who are on the email list at stillmanwellness.com. You can sign up for that through the link in the description to this video. And that masterclass is really a hard-hitting, high-level um, uh, webinar or masterclass on a given topic in my world that I see in my day-to-day -day practice. And it is going to be behind the scenes information. It will not be streamed to YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or wherever you're watching this. It will only be for people who are on the list. And after these videos are done, they are going into our paid courses. So this is the only opportunity for you to get to see these uh, videos uh, live, live streamed, or the replay if you're on our list. So make sure you're signed up at stillmanwellness.com. So the upcoming webinar we have that's pertinent to this is Gut Health Secrets, where I'm going to be covering how I approach gut health in my practice, which I've found over the years. I've gotten more and more efficient at getting people the results that are, they want. Fewer tests, less hassle, fewer supplements, more emphasis on diet and lifestyle changes, and yet we get great results. And one of the secrets to what I uh, see in my practice is bile acids. The number one reason I believe that bile acids are important is actually excretion of metals. This topic is in the blind spot of most people in the conventional medical world. And it really comes down to what I, I believe is a, a schism in how I view the body versus how my conventional colleagues view the body. I think the number one driver of disease today is oxidative stress from heavy metals. Now there's lots of other things that go into that, right? You'll hear me talking about everything from breathing mechanics to sunlight. All of this relates back to metals. But if there's one modifiable risk factor in, from my perspective, it's your exposure to these heavy metals. And it's the ratios of nutritive elements or nutritional minerals, I should say, that are coming in from your diet. What does this have to do with bile acids? What does it have to do with gut health? The accumulation of heavy metals in the human body goes along with GI distress across the board. Every single toxidrome of these heavy metals includes GI symptoms, right? So is it possible that chronic low-level accumulation of heavy metals within the human body is driving the epidemics of GI disease that we see today? I strongly believe that's the case. If you go back into the literature and you look at links between, say, heavy metals like mercury, cadmium, aluminum, arsenic, and autoimmune diseases of the gut like Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis, I'm confident you'll find links. If you go back and you look uh, for those links between uh, small bowel diseases or large bowel diseases, IBS, uh, uh, stomach issues like ulcers, I'm sure you'll find links. Um, I don't have time to go into all of that today, and I haven't had time to do a really deep dive on that. That may be a future Monday masterclass, but I'm confident the links are there. And one of the ways this has played out in my practice is that when I first started learning about bile acids, obviously what I learned in my conventional medical training was that bile acids were important, but they were sort of assumed to be there and their function wasn't really talked about very much. I don't remember ever using supplemental bile acids in my practice. What I found when I got out of practice is that lots of people, naturopaths, functional medicine doctors, you know, just people in the alternative health and wellness space, many of them recommended bile salts. And I saw some really impressive results in cases where we use bile acids. And I thought, this is amazing. 
how are we getting these results and what's the root cause of this problem and why are they so effective? Now, it may be improved absorption of vitamin D, vitamin A. It may be excretion of xenobiotics like plasticizers and bisphenol A. And the, the 50,000 foot view of this is pretty simple. Fat-soluble toxins, as well as somewhat fat-soluble toxins like heavy metals, for example, uh, are excreted in your bile, which means that they come out of the, the, the gallbladder where the bile is stored. They go into the, the intestinal lumen. And a certain proportion of the bile acids that are excreted are going to be lost in the stool. Okay. But what if the increase in the bile acids then allows the body to excrete more toxins? This is the explanation for the improvement that I see on bile acids that I've noticed in my practice and that I've seen in patients and then coaching clients on the coaching side of what I do. And that's what I want to talk about today. The reason this topic is, has been actually very difficult for me to prep this talk on is that it is not much talked about. There is one person who seems to dominate the literature in the last 20 or 30 years. I found this review on this exact topic from 1976. And in this review, we won't go into exactly what they say, but in this review, the author points out that the knowledge in 1976 of biliary excretion of toxins was 40 years behind that of the kidney. And looking at the literature since then, from what I could find in Google Scholar, it seems to me that we're still very, very, very far behind an understanding of biliary excretion compared to our understanding of renal or kidney excretion of toxins. And I think this is probably why this element of health and wellness is less well appreciated. And I'm going to walk you through some of the ins and outs of why I think this is such a big deal. And then we'll talk a little bit about how I use bile acids in my practice in the webinar that's coming up, Gut Health Secrets, sign up at stillmanwellness.com to get email notifications of that. So biliary excretion of metals, if you look down into the table of contents of this article, you'll see that biliary excretion of lead, arsenic, manganese, copper, mercury, and other metals is a key function of bile acid. Now, I'm not gonna get into the ins and outs of all of this. This is a very technical paper. It's not oriented towards you if you're a you know, consumer, or even if you're a practitioner, this stuff is deep, deep biochemistry and anatomy. And it's not really that germane to clinical practice in terms of how it changes what we do. This is a more recent paper on the enterohepatic circulation of bile acids in mammals by this guy named Alan Hoffman, who seems to be kind of the king of the literature in this. No offense to anyone else who's competing with him for that title. But there's one thing he says in here that I want to point out to you guys that I think is really, really interesting. This is a very, very long, very, very detailed paper on bile acids. Of course, it's excellent from a technical and academic standpoint, but as a clinician who takes care of patients, many of whom have GI issues, it doesn't actually help me take better care of those patients. <clears throat> so he has something to say though about this that I think is really interesting. He says, it is beyond the scope of this review to discuss the use of bile acids as therapeutic agents. Bile acids are currently being used for inborn errors of bile acid biosynthesis, cholestatic liver disease. Other uses are under investigation, dot, dot, dot. Translation, this whole paper, this whole review covers the basic science. There is not much literature out there, and he doesn't cover it here, on the therapeutic use of bile acids in the average person who comes into the doctor saying, I don't know why I can't lose weight. I don't know why I have so much brain fog. I don't know why I'm so tired. I don't know why I'm so constipated or I don't know why I have so much you know, diarrhea. That's kind of the, the, the tip of the iceberg on the symptoms that I see improving in people who I end up using bile acids in, in general. 
Individual results may vary. Obviously, I'm not practicing medicine via the internet, YouTube, Twitter, whatever, but that's what I see clinically happening in my practice, okay? One of the interesting things about this is that your microbiome is well known to crosstalk with your liver and that then interacts with these metals. So one of the most active areas of the literature in this topic is, and this was a surprise to me, actually a, um, the area of the literature where they're looking at how probiotics can improve or mitigate heavy metal toxicity in the human gut. This is also a topic that's getting a lot of traction in research in the environmental fields. In other words, researchers are looking at how can we introduce different microbes to the environment to mitigate heavy metal toxicity. This is only becoming more and more and more relevant as we spew more and more heavy metals into the atmosphere with burning fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are necessary for the current global economy. Um, long story there, uh, but the, the reality is they're going to continue to be spewed out by industry. We have to be able to mitigate them. One of the ways we may be able to do this is actually probiotics. So this is a really cool paper where uh, they basically supplemented probiotics and they looked at what happened. So in a previous study, the probiotic strain Lactobacillus plantarum prevented lead absorption in mice via intestinal sequestration. So PB in this paper, by the way, stands for lead. That's the um, atomic abbreviation for that. So this follow-up study aimed to evaluate the additional protective mechanism of Lactobacillus plantarum. And this is a specific strain. So one thing is you guys think you guys need to know about the probiotics world is that people are trying to come up with and then patent uh, strains of probiotics because it's extremely profitable, right? Let's say that you, you patent a, a strain of probiotics that don't occur in nature and that you've somehow modified so that it really sequesters toxins super well, or it really stimulates bioflora. It does something therapeutic, right? You own that, you can bottle that, you can ship that, and you can make money off of the margin. Um, this is why there's so much money spent on R&D of pharmaceutical drugs. This is why sometimes natural products are so cheap that people actually have a tough time turning a profit on them uh, because you can't patent them, right? That's another story for another day, but it's really important as a concept to understand this is why there's so much interest in this area and so much research going on. So we first confirmed the relationship between the enterohepatic circulations of lead and bile acid by administering a bile acid sequestrant, cholesteramine, to mice with a high lead burden. Our data further showed that Lactobacillus plantarum, CCFM8661, significantly induced hepatic bile acid synthesis, enhanced bile flow and biliary glutathione output, and increased fecal bile acid excretion in the mice, which in turn increased biliary lead output and enhanced fecal lead excretion. Why is this such an important statement? Let's break this down. We confirm the relationship between the enterohepatic circulations of lead and bile acid. What does that mean? Lead and bile acids circulate between the gut, entero, and liver, hepatic, and gallbladder systems. So there's this constant churn of these things in this system, okay? They confirmed this by administering cholesterol, which binds bile acid. Then what they showed is that administering lactobacillus plantarum, the specific strain that they've come up with, significantly induced liver bile acid synthesis. So they increased the amount of bile acids being produced in the liver. This increased the amount of bile flow. This increased the glutathione output. Glutathione is the key ingredient for neutralizing toxins in your body, just in case you didn't know that. And it increased fecal bile acid excretion in the mice, which in turn increased biliary blood output 
What that means is by giving a probiotic, they change liver function, they enhance bile flow, they increase glutathione output and thereby production, and then they increase the amount of lead that was getting out or being excreted in the stool. Why is this such a big deal? As you guys know, I like to say that small hinges swing big doors. What that means in this context is that these small bile acids day by day by day might have a significant impact on the amount of heavy metals you can excrete from your body. If the accumulation of heavy metals is critical to the aging process and is driving a lot of the decay we see in our modern world, does it not make sense that small increases in your daily excretion of heavy metals could make a profound difference in the likelihood of your developing diseases that you don't want to have? I will quote Hippocrates who said, illnesses do not come upon us out of the blue. They are accumulated by small daily sins against nature. When enough sins have accumulated, illnesses suddenly appear. Does it not sound consistent with his hypothesis from way back in you know, the day, um, this hypothesis, that the, the slow accumulation of these heavy metals is leading to aging, is leading to disease, and that by increasing our excretion on a day-by-day -day basis, by increasing bile acid production, or by using a bile acid supplement, we could thereby alter our health, our aging, and our disease. That makes a lot of sense to me. This is what I see in my practice. And I have to tell you that of all the supplements I recommend, I think that bile acids punch above their weight on a pound for pound basis, almost more than any other supplement, almost. There's plenty that give them, give it a run for its money or give them a run for their money, however you want to put it. Um, but it's, it's really remarkable. And it's one of the things I recommend people learn more about because it can be so instrumental in people getting well. How does this play out in clinical practice? Again, there's not a lot of literature on this. One of the reasons there's not a lot of literature on this shouldn't surprise you. Do you have any idea how hard it is to sample biliary fluid? If you want to sample biliary fluid, you have to snake a scope down someone's esophagus while they're under sedation, because Lord knows you wouldn't want to do this to somebody without heavily sedating them. You have to snake it down their esophagus into their stomach, through their stomach, around the first curve in the duodenum, to where you see the bile ducts, bile duct, emptying into the small intestine. And then you have to, or ideally, you snake the, the, the scope up into that area, the biliary tree, and you take a fluid sample. This is not something you just casually do at bedside in an ER or a hospital. It takes a trained gastroenterologist or a trained surgeon or someone who subspecializes in some specialty thereof who spent a lot of time at school, and then you have to take that sample and you have to go analyze it. So not a lot of people are doing this study, this kind of study because that group of specialties isn't that interested in this topic because there is no profit to be made in understanding this kind of thing. It's a intellectual backwater that unfortunately I think has tremendous therapeutic value. There's a lot more money to be made in say, engineering the next latest greatest biliary stent out of some kind of fancy metal originally developed by say NASA. I'm not kidding. That's actually what where a lot of the research in this field uh, goes. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. I'm really glad that we can stent people's bile ducts open and relieve them from the incredible pain uh, that I've seen people have with biliary strictures or have you know just lack of, of bile flow. But at the same time, there's huge therapeutic value being left on the table because of these uh, misaligned incentives in healthcare. Enough about that.
What is this study about? The title is Biliary Heavy Metal Concentrations in Carcinoma of the Gallbladder Case Control Study. This is a study that comes to us out of India. Um, so I'll, I'll just read you the highlights of the abstract. So carcinoma of the gallbladder is the third most common malignancy of the GI tract in the eastern Uttar Pradesh and western Bihar regions of India. That's actually not the same as the United States. Well, I'm going to caveat that. It might be similar to the United States, but I really suspect it's highly, highly different. Why? In the United States, when we talk about GI cancers, there's a couple that come to mind that are really top, right? So colon cancer takes the cake. Uh, stomach cancer is not that uncommon. It's not that common either. Esophageal cancer is pretty common. Pancreatic cancer is pretty common. Um, and all in all, that's most of the GI malignancies that I would say I've seen as a general internist. Carcinoma of the gallbladder is not that common. Uh, you could throw in hepatic carcinoma in that list too, but it's not a common, common malignancy. And I think that there's environmental concerns that are why it's so high or so prevalent in Uttar Pradesh and this Bihar region of India. However, it makes it a really interesting case study in what heavy metals are doing to the body in the biliary tree. So high concentrations of cadmium have been reported in sewage, irrigation water, and vegetables grown in this area. Higher concentrations of heavy metals than recommended by the World Health Organization have been reported in water from this region. Heavy metals as environmental pollutants have been implicated in human carcinogenesis. These metals, especially cadmium, are excreted and concentrated in the hepatobiliary system. Translation, their hypothesis is essentially that these cancers are being driven by exposure to environmental heavy metals. These heavy metals are coming in via the air, they're coming in via the water, they're coming in via the food. And therefore, we should see in people who have these cancers, higher levels of these heavy metals than in people who do not. So what did they do? They took bile, or bile was taken by needle aspiration from the gallbladder of all patients at the time of surgery for estimation of cadmium, chromium, and lead concentrations. These were all people destined for surgery, either due to a cancer or due to gallstones or some other problem. The figure showed that mean biliary concentrations of cadmium, chromium, and lead were significantly higher in patients with carcinoma of the gallbladder than in those with gallstones. Translation, the people who had the cancers of the gallbladder had more heavy metals or higher heavy metal levels than those with gallstones, right? So correlation does not always equal causation. However, uh, in this context, it is strongly suggestive, right? So let's look at these levels and these great graphs that they generated for us. So you see over here, gallstones, cadmium, chromium, lead, that's what these three graphs are. You see that the gallbladder cancer patients have much, much higher average levels and all the outliers at the top of the graph are uh, people with these cancers, right? And so this supports this hypothesis, as they state here, um, or it supports the hypothesis that these heavy metals are contributing to this cancer, right? Because where there's smoke, there's fire. And while smoke doesn't cause fire, right, correlation and causation are closely linked. So these studies have proved heavy metals to be related to carcinogenesis, but to our knowledge, biliary heavy metal concentrations have not been measured in patients with gallbladder cancer. This is the first study by the way of its kind. In our current study, cadmium, chromium, and lead concentrations were significantly higher in carcinoma of the gallbladder than in gallstones. Again, to reiterate, this suggests that there is a significant burden of biliary cancers and maybe many other cancers because of accumulation of these heavy metals in the biliary tree and in the body at large. Because remember, if something's accumulating in the bile, uh, it's accumulating in the liver. If it's accumulating in the liver, it's going to be distributed throughout the rest of the body once the liver either fills up, so to speak, uh, or, or and or loses its capacity for what we call 
first, first pass, which is another story for another day. Um, but you will have more and more of these toxins throughout the body as the liver is under more and more stress and can't metabolize more and more of the toxins it's exposed to. So in closing, oh, no. Toby Acrobat keeps quitting on me, which is really frustrating because I do these live and it means that then my papers that I've, I've prepared for these talks disappear. Uh, but I can't do anything about that. The last paper I was going to share with you guys is, is pretty simple. It was the one of the experts in this field calling for studies on uh, trials of exogenous bile acids in people who have IBS type C. And basically the gist of his commentary in this letter to the editor that was commenting on another pa person's paper that they just published where they documented a lack of bile acids in people with IBS type C. He said, it's definitely worthwhile for us to pursue trials on supplementation of exogenous bile acids in this population. That paper was relatively recent. And what I want you all to understand is that we've known about these things for decades, generations, in fact, of clinicians. Doctors have lived and died since we first started to describe these problems. And yet you ask the average doctor how to use bile acids in their clinical practice, and they might be able to remember some kind of board exam trivia that they once memorized for when to use you know, ursi deoxycholic acid or whatever. And I'm telling you that in the real world, in clinical practice with people who've got GI issues, distress, uh, GI distress that is, got problems with that have been labeled as IBS or Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or whatever, people who've got a burden of total body toxins as reflected by various different types of testing that I talk about in other webinars and videos, those people often get this disproportional response to bile acids. And I can't prove that with clinical trials and data, but it's such a strong anecdotal uh, finding from my practice that I'm very enthusiastic about recommending supplemental bile acids to my patients who have these issues as well as other issues because of the clinical results that I see with them. And I'm looking forward to seeing more study on these topics so that patients can get better and better outcomes. I am not holding my breath for these studies to get done. The, the rate at which this literature is progressing is glacial. I mean, it is like slower than linoleum peeling, slower than watching paint dry. And the simple fact of the matter is these are over the counter. I know who to recommend them for uh, and they're available and they're safe. Never seen anyone have an adverse outcome or adverse event from taking supplemental bile acids. So food for thought today in this Monday Masterclass. As always, I have a premium Substack Q&A after my Monday Masterclass. The invitation is in the link that goes out on Substack once I wrap up the video. Uh, if you would like access to that, upgrade your Substack to a premium subscription for only 20 bucks a month. You get uh, three or four of these every month with me, depending upon my travel schedule. You will also get access to my exclusive protocols, which are all behind the paywall at my Substack. I also encourage you guys to, again, join the email list over at stillmanwellness.com. That is where we are putting out most of our content at this point, and it is where we are um, uh, publishing, as I mentioned, the masterclass on Thursdays. That's super hard-hitting, very high-level, extremely pertinent, powerful clinical information for you guys from behind the scenes of my practice. So as always, thanks for watching. Have a great day. Don't forget to get outside.